to the extent that Jesus does not know my temptation is the extent to which he cannot be my savior. In a certain context, the advice is if you don't repent to this sin, you will not You're listening to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church, Episode 2. We continue our series looking at the issue of desire and with our interview of Dr. Derek Thomas. In today's episode, we'll talk about comforting versus convicting with the gospel, if there's such thing as godly desires, and how our perfect and sympathetic Savior leads us out of temptation. I'm Josh Squires, the Minister of Counseling and Congregational Care here at First Pres. Welcome to the 1A, a podcast designed to look at how to apply biblical principles in our day-to-day lives. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. For more information, you can check us out at our website, which is firstpreskolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstpreskolumbia.org forward slash 1A. Now let's get back to our interview with Dr. Thomas. You've got somebody who now has fallen into sin, regardless of accountability partner, regardless of the habits they were trying to form. They have find themselves fallen into sin. They've just viewed pornography. And now they feel themselves overwhelmed, ashamed, feel maybe some hopelessness that they won't ever be able to get out of this. What do you tell someone in that moment? Again, Josh, it depends on who that person is. Um, it depends on how much I know about this person. Um, you, you know, the, the, there's the person with a very sensitive conscience mm-hmm. whom you are convinced is a believer, that you do want to speak about forgiveness and grace and, and that there's a way back from the depths of sin and so on. And, but there's also the person who, for whom th- this has become such a habit that, that you're now beginning to suspect, do they have grace in their hearts? Mm. Um, are they, are they believers? That there is a possibility that they may be false believers. Mm. Um, so, you know, there is a, there is a tendency for us as evangelical Christians to want to kind of pronounce an evangelical absolution. You're saved. You're in Jesus. All your sins are forgiven. Amen. Right. Um, Whereas, whereas, perhaps in in a certain context, the advice is if if you don't repent of this sin, you're going to hell. Mm. Um, you know that 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 for a period of time, maybe maybe, you know, I, I, rem- I remember hearing a preacher say to me once that you don't always have to end a sermon with the gospel. It was a very provocative thing to say, and and what he meant by that was. But sometimes you need to leave people to stew for a week so that they can really think about their sin and then be sure next week to come back and, and, and preach the gospel. Now, you, you can take that statement completely out of context right. and, and tweet it all over the internet, then they're right. going to be in big trouble. Right. But I, I do think that we can, we can apply a patchwork medicine that's actually doing people no good at all and mm. giving them a false sense of security. That security must come not from your words of absolution, but that security must come from their relationship with the Lord Jesus. Sometimes I talk about the twin aspects of the gospel 
uh, comfort and conviction. Are there markers for you when you find someone at this place about which one you really need to employ? Yeah, and, and again, you know, it depends on who the person is. If I'm if I'm speaking to somebody I, I really don't know, I'm I'm going to have to make some some guesswork as to which way to go, praying that God the Spirit would overrule mm. my counsel. In your case, Josh, you mm. meet with people that over a lengthy period of time that you that you really know. But even then, you know, when this is the sixth time or the tenth time or the eighteenth time, you know, there comes a point at which perhaps patchwork absolution is not the answer. And the answer is they need to find uh, afresh what it is that their relationship with the Lord Jesus is. And, and that's a work of the Holy Spirit. It, you know, it's not, it's not for me to pronounce forgiveness. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And they right. must, and they must seek that for themselves. And so people often take advantage of God's grace for us to not mortify or kill their sin, but really to embellish their sin. Yeah. And that would be cheap grace to use a, a, a Bonhoeffer term. Um, and, and there is such a thing as cheap grace. God, God forgives those who are repentant, but He doesn't forgive those who are not repentant. Uh, so, so there, there, there is this balance between demonstrating genuine repentance, genuine sorrow, which is different from being sorry for oneself or mm-hmm. sorry that I've been caught or sorry because I feel ashamed. And a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Dr. Thomas has just brought up the issue of genuine repentance. This is an issue that comes up all the time in counseling. How is it that you tell when someone is genuinely repentant? Well, it's difficult. And there's no way to be 100% sure. Yet there are some guidelines. First off, repentance should be more like a volcano than a mine. What I mean by that is that you don't have to ask whether or not the volcano is there. It's not something you should have to go in and discover, but should be generally readily apparent. Now, repentance should have a few features. One, it should have a willingness to listen to those that it's hurt, to actually get a genuine appreciation for the damage that it's done. Number two, the person who's repenting should show an amount of appropriate grief over the hurt that they've caused. Number three, that their comfort should be in the gospel. To have to repent shouldn't undo them. It shouldn't cause them to go through uh, big vacillations of depression and anxiety because they know that they've been redeemed by a Savior that doesn't change. And they also understand that sin is something that we have to confront and repent of continually. Fourthly, Genuine repentance endeavors after new obedience. That is, it tries as hard as it can not to repeat the same mistake. Now, this isn't perfectionistic. So it does happen. If you are someone who gets angry, you are likely to get angry again. Yet you should be able to tell on my face that as I get angry, I'm trying really hard to control that anger. Or you should watch me just walk away so that I don't say something that I regret. Genuine repentance should yield a qualitative difference 
and my behavior. Now let's get back to Dr. Thomas. To this point, we've really been focusing on desires that are more worldly, desires that maybe we should try and control and put to death. Are all desires bad? No, of course not. Uh, the desire to be godly, the desire to love uh, and be loved is a, is a creational desire. We were created uh, as uh, individuals with minds and wills and affections. And those affections uh, are meant to be demonstrated. Uh, and uh, so the, the desire to love God, the desire to please Him, Second Corinthians 5, uh, 4 and 5 uses that as a motivation for godliness, to please Him, to please Christ. And so, so the, there are, but, but that, that desire to please can, can easily it's like a doppelganger. There's a desire to please oneself in a in a in a selfish way, in a in an idolatrous way, and you know, do all things for the glory of God. Shorter Catechism: Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And there's a desire here. Uh, of enjoyment, mm. but it's a godly enjoyment. It's an enjoyment in Him, and mm. that gives Him all the glory. So we've talked a little bit about decreasing those desires which we should mortify. Anything different about how we might increase the desires that are godly? Oh, no, that's a good question. You know, work understanding the relationship of desire and understanding the relationship of affections emotions if you like mm. uh, that that we that we are emotional affectional beings mm. um, love joy peace self-control and so on I mean these all have uh, these all have affectional aspects to them um, and and that and that's going to be manifested in different ways. Uh, because of issues of, you know, without getting into faculty psychology here in any, in any shape or form, but we, we are, we are, pers- our personalities are different. Mm-hmm. I, I think that here, uh, you know, Piper has helped me, and Piper, I think, is dependent on Jonathan Edwards, and whether Piper reads something into Jonathan Edwards is, a, is another issue here, but uh, the, the, uh, God is most glorified when we uh, find our satisfaction in Him, and, and, mm-hmm. and so on. That that quote, which you can now quote for right. me. Right. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. So, so as we find our satisfaction more and more in God, as we try to make our desires more cross-shaped, more Christ-shaped, uh, we do that by reading the Word, uh, putting ourselves under the preaching of the Word, praying? Yeah, I mean, certainly it starts there with the means of grace and 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 not just on a personal level of, you know, reading and praying and so on, but, but in a corporate setting, so church becomes important. Uh, you know, Jesus has a plan, and his plan is, I will build my church. Mm-hmm. Uh, his plan isn't just me and God and, and that's it. 
his plan is a corporate plan. Uh, and so there's a reason why he puts us in a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so gathering together in a community in, in uh, corporate worship uh, is part of his plan too. But there's a way in which that can can become um, narrow and, and unhelpful. Um, you know, for me, uh, it, it was when I was a young Christian. It was you know, what's the role of music? You know, was music something that is essentially worldly and therefore ungodly? And and growing in my desire for God meant removing those worldly and ungodly aspects. And I think that that was a fundamental misunderstanding on my part of a, a doctrine of creation, that God mm. creates us as human beings with all kinds of uh, desires that need to be utilized for his praise and glory mm. and to use all of creation. Uh, and, and those two uh, our ways of expressing godly um, desires, godly emotions, godly affections mm. um, uh, for his praise and, and glory. Mm. Uh, I want to read just a piece of scripture. It's from Hebrews 4.15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Does Christ really know what it is for us to be tempted by these different sins? And and how might the fact that we have a Savior who understands this be a comfort to us as we struggle with our desires? Well, to the extent that Jesus does not know my temptation is the extent to which he cannot be my Savior. Mm. That's putting it negatively, so putting it positively, uh, he has been tempted in every point like as we are. Yes, I think that there is a moment in the Gospels uh, with the woman, woman of the well, the woman of Samaria, where Jesus is being tempted. Mm. I think it's a classic allurement on the part of the woman uh, who speaks in some double entendre about wells and water and so on. I mean, that's that's all loaded double entendre. Mm-hmm. John, I think, is telling us Jesus is being tempted here. She's had. Uh, she's had five husbands. Uh, she's now with a sixth, and she's tempting a seventh. Uh, and in John, numbers, especially seven, you know, are significant. So, uh, I I do think that 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 is a classic temptation narrative. And for me, I mean, I, I, some Christians balk at that and find that unacceptable mm. and even offensive. Mm. Um, I want to be able to say to somebody who struggles with lust. Uh, we have a Savior who has been tempted and tempted without sin, uh, who knows what it is to be uh, lured. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, you know, here you have Jesus uh, saying, Father, if it is possible that this cup pass from me. I mean, he's saying he's being tempted by a course of direction that is wholly contrary to his father's will, uh, and it is about as close as you see. I mean, where's the line here between sin and righteousness? And Jesus is right up against the line mm. here, and 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 hasn't crossed it. 
mm. but he's 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 right there at the line, and he's mm. saying, "I don't want to go down this road." Mm. Now that's the kind of savior that we have, one who has been stretched to the extremities mm. uh, in every aspect, mm. um, but without ever committing sin, mm. internally or externally. So if there's somebody that's listening to this right now and they feel like they're trapped in some cycle of sin, what do you tell them about getting out? Well, there, there, there are many things I want to say to them, but you know, one that is absolutely crucial is their relationship with the Lord Jesus. If, if they're not totally in love with Christ, so that you find total fulfillment for every aspect of your being in Christ, um, sin is always going to appear more attractive. You've been listening to 1A, a counseling ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We encourage you to listen to all of our episodes, which you can find on our webpage, which is firstpreszcolumbia.org forward slash 1A. You can also check us out on all your favorite podcast applications, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, then subscribe. Also, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us as well. If you have comments, questions, or an issue that you'd like us to wrestle with, contact us. You can contact us via email at 1A at firstpreszcolumbia.org. That's 1A at firstpreszcolumbia.org. Or on Twitter at 1A Podcast. That's at 1A Podcast. Or you can call us by phone, 803 281 1795. That's 803 281 1795. We look forward to seeing you next week and hope that this material has helped you to live out the gospel for each other and for the kingdom. Until then, God bless.